Blog Talk Radio. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fence side. Dolphins the fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop, or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Fins Radio, live and direct. Win or lose, we're showing up for every contest. No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered. Voice of the fans when the season look peculiar. Rockin' Apple Orange over here, then you familiar. Every week they come and do our speakers to fulfill the crazy we have to hear about our team and all the latest news. Bet the rookies trying to make the team pay dues. Current players and alumni interviews. City to city, state to state. Follow the moves, call the hotline, Dolphins talk, set the go. Best sports team and show all across the globe. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the Good evening. Right I'm Brian Miller. Brian Cat. Sorry, we call him Cat. Paul Jr. I'm back to hosting tonight. Um, kind of got to get back in the rhythm of things. We've got a draft this Thursday night. We'll talk a little bit about that here in terms of our programming for Thursday night. Guys, thanks for uh, for being on tonight. This is our, our final show before the draft, and uh, we've got a few things to cover. Greg Likens is going to be calling in around 830 tonight as well. Um, and then we're going to have a little bit of a game. Can you explain a little bit of what we're going to be doing here tonight, Kat? Yeah, looking at uh, the the Dolphins at the number 13 pick, there are some players that very obviously are not going to be on the board. Uh, quarterback Carson Wentz, quarterback Goff, Tunzel, Stanley, Bosa, Buckner, and Ramsey. So taking those guys out of the equation, how does our draft board really stack up for the Dolphins at 13 if they can't trade up or trade down? It's going to be fun. Paul, I know you've got some uh, some questions that you've got ready for Greg Likens. Um, uh, around 8.30, it's going to be uh, your ball there. You ready for that one? Oh, yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. I know we haven't heard Greg's voice in a while with this insiders ending at the end of last month. So it'd be very, very interesting to hear some of Greg's thoughts on the state of the team, as well as going into the draft coming up. So I'm really looking forward to having him on here. I know we all know and love Greg. So. Well, draft season's always big. It's been a big, big, busy season for us here at on the fence, especially for Kat and Paul who have uh, managed to stick with this. I've taken taken a few weeks off. Well, okay. A few months off. It seems like, um, which is probably more accurate. Before we get started in tonight's show, a big thanks to Chris Kaufman, a.k.a. C.K. Parrott, as well as Rob Prophet and Ian Wharton, and anybody else who joined the shows to talk um, the draft with these guys. Uh, it's definitely a huge bonus to have uh, such expertise coming on and, and talking about the draft. Before we get into our draft talk, let's talk about some news, though. Out of Miami, Rashad Jones did not show up for the OTAs today. Hey, it's no big deal. It's voluntary, and he voluntarily decided not to go. But he is asking for a larger contract. He signed a contract extension in 2014. It was a four-year deal. He's entering year three, Cat. Uh, he's scheduled to make $7 million this year, $7 million next year, base salary, and is one of the top-paid safeties in the NFL. What's going on here? Should the Dolphins be worried? Uh, I don't think at this point they should be worried, but if this uh, has a ripple effect into next month or the month after and he's, he's insistent on holding out like Cam Chancellor did for the Seahawks, 
then it could uh, obviously cause problems. You know, Rashad Jones uh, was a great is a, is a great football player, strong safety, one of the best in the league. But he's also currently being paid like it. I mean, over the next two years, talking about a player who is scheduled to make sixteen point three million dollars over the next two years, the highest paid strong safety in the league. So, you know, if he's gonna hold the Dolphins' feet to the fire for another two million dollars, no, I I don't think that's a good move on his part, and it would hurt the team. Yeah, for for me, I, I'm a little shocked that he's holding out, considering the fact that he's already being paid um, like he is. I, I think the appropriate thing to do with the fact that he already has a pretty good-sized contract is is to be there at camp and to go about it the right way. I, I don't see holding out being anything that helps, especially when they're going to be learning a new defense here under Vance Joseph, and there's a lot for him to take in. And if he wants to continue to be one of the top safeties in the NFL, he needs to get up to speed. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. It's not a hold. I mean, he's missing volunteer camp. Could he possibly hold out? I don't know if he will. Maybe this is just one of those messages that he's sending to the team to say, "Hey, I want to be paid. I want to make more money. I want an extension. Whatever the case may be, we'll see what happens." Adam Gase said it best today when asked about it. He said, "You know what? I'm not going to worry about it until later on in, in the year, in June or July, when these camps are mandatory. And if he doesn't show up, he'll be fine. We'll see how much, how far this goes." He wasn't the only player that wasn't there, and Domicon Sue is not as well. He's training in Oregon. We're going to talk about that briefly in just a second. Koa Misi and Mario Williams in the defense were also not there. Williams was excused for a personal reason, and Koa Misi was ill, so there's no issues with there. But I want to go back to Sue for just a second, Paul. He is traditionally trained on his own at the Nike Center in Oregon. However, it's being reported that some of the Dolphins are kind of miffed that here's this guy, the, the number one paid guy on their team, skipping voluntary workouts to work out on his own. And this is one of those things that can start to create problems within a locker room. Definitely not something that Adam Gase needs in year one. Anything to worry about there? Um, it, it's only something to worry about if you let it be something to worry about. Do I think he should be there? Uh, he, he came out himself when he first came in with the team and talked about being a leader take a closer to his way, et cetera, et cetera. He did do some of that. Um, and regardless of that, it, it's let's see how things progress with that. Um, let's see if he ends up skipping everything but mandatory stuff as we move forward, and then we'll go from there. I mean, I, I'm not going to knock the guy over a couple of days of voluntary workouts, even if I think he should be there. It, yeah. Yeah, looking at, looking at Sue, yeah, you know, he has – like you said, Brian, done this every year. Uh, I would have liked for him to be there, but it's, it's not a huge deal. Uh, but th- the very fact that he really drew a line in the sand last last year and said that I'm the leader of this football team, people need to be more like me and play more like me, uh, I, I would have liked for him with a new coach and a new defensive coordinator to be there on day one. But at this time, it's really not something to worry about. But the fact that what sounds like a few Dolphins players are miffed about this. Uh, I really hope this doesn't turn into, hey, the leader of our defense is, you know, doing one thing and and saying one thing and doing another. Yeah, you know, for me, the thing is, is, Kat, you hit it right on the head. I would not care one way or the other. This is a guy that's done this every year of his career. Had he not opened his mouth and said, look at me, follow me, be like me, then you have to step up. And you just put yourself in that leadership role, be a leader. That means you've got to go and show up at the voluntary workouts to set that example, and he's not doing it. Will it turn into something more than that? Probably not. Yeah, and, Brian, one thing I want to just throw in real quick there is, you know, if 
if his Instagram was throwing out photos of him sitting a big fat ass on a beach at this, at this point while everybody else is working out, I'd have a little more issue with it. Uh, but the fact that he's training on his own in a way that he has every year, we all know sports are about tradition, superstitions, et cetera, and, and things like that. So if it's his tradition to go up there and train his ass off every year, hey, it's working. The guy's one of the best in the game, if not the best in his position. So I'm not going to knock the guy too hard for that at this point. Not a lot of other news coming out of Miami right now, simply because of the fact that the team had hosted their first OTAs today. It's the first time the team's been able to get on the practice field and actually do something. The rest of the time they've been in classwork. Um, this is the first time that the Dolphins have had an opportunity to look at Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso, the linebacker and quarterback that they traded for uh, at the start of free agency when they moved back from the eighth spot to the 13th spot with the Philadelphia Eagles, who, of course, turned that into a second overall pick and put it to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, as far as the news goes, what is there to say? It's non-contact. It's running routes. It's running uh, plays. There's not a lot going on. Let's face it. The focus right now is the NFL draft, which is Thursday night. Thursday night, you can join Paul and myself here on the fence side at 8 o'clock where we will broadcast the first two hours of the draft because that's all Blog Talk allows us to, to perform or to broadcast. We will be here for two hours. We will give you every single pick in this draft. Uh, up through that two hours, we will talk about how each t- pick impacts the Miami Dolphins at 13. And, of course, we'll discuss what the Dolphins do at 13, whether it's trading up, trading back, whatever the case may be. So make sure that you join us here on Thursday night. Turn your volume down on your TV. Turn the volume up on your computer. Speaking of the draft cat, the Miami Dolphins say that they are going to go best player available. What do you think of that? You know, I'm a big proponent of going best player available, regardless of what's on your football team. The NFL draft is not free agency. Free agency is the place to get those guys uh, to to plug into your roster. So looking at this, we're going to play a little bit of a game here where we're going to think about who is our, who would we like to see there at the number 13 pick? So for argument's sake, like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're going to take seven players off the board we cannot say any of these seven players. Number one, Carson Wentz. Number two, Jared Goff. Three, Laramie Tunzel. Four, Ronnie Stanley. Five, Joey Bosa. Six, DeForest Buckner. Seven, Jalen Ramsey. Those are in obviously no particular order. So, taking those players off the board, uh, there's a lot of players to choose from here. So, with the my first selection, taking those seven guys off the board, my guy's going to be Miles Jack, the linebacker from UCLA. In fact, he's my first or second player on my Dolphins board, period. But he's starting to fall a little bit because there are questions about a knee injury that, that forced him to miss most of last season. Is it a, a knee injury that requires surgery? Is it degenerative? That, that's what's being talked about. More than likely, it's something that's not as big of a deal as it's being made out of. I think he's a special player. You can really... Uh, gives that that strong safety look, but also at 6'1", 243 pounds as an outside linebacker. Paired with Jelani Jenkins and Kiko Alonso, I think they can cover uh, tight ends, running backs, and even slot receivers all over the field. So, Jack is my first pick. Paul, I'm going to kick it to you. Who would your first selection be? My first one's actually the same as yours and Miles Jack. And while I do have some question about his his style of tackling, which I know we've talked about on the show, the fact that he is such a flexible component that you can use on your defense, 
brings him back into it for me. Um, the fact that you can keep him, Kiko, and uh, Jelani Jenkins out there on third down and really mask what looks you have on the field, not allow the offense to adjust to your personnel because, hey, your nickel corner is sliding out there from linebacker. Um, it really adds a lot for me in terms of, of the value that you would get out of a Miles Jack. I wouldn't move up to get him unless the cost is astronomically low, but I would take him if he does fall to 13. I'm going to take Ronnie Stanley as my number. Oh, wait. Ronnie Stanley is not available. Yeah, I know. I just did that to completely annoy you. In fact, I've even got it written down here. Say Stanley to annoy Cat. <laughs> um, I have to agree with both of you guys. I mean, simply put, Jack is the best player, one of the top best players in this draft, regardless of the knee concerns. However, the thing that gets me with Jack is, is if I'm the Dolphins and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this player and I have concerns over it being a degenerative issue, I might go in another location uh, and then possibly look in the third round to take a guy like Jalen Smith, who at least I know doesn't have a degenerative issue. He's going to sit out for a year, but that's a topic for another conversation. But yeah, I mean, Miles Jack is the guy in this draft that everybody's going to be watching to see where he goes. I'm thinking number five to Jacksonville seems like it's going to be the landing spot for him. You know, Miles Jack, when you look at him, could go anywhere from number four to Dallas. He could fall all the way to the bottom of the first round. It, it all depends on what teams really feel about that knee injury. So we've all got Miles Jack across the board uh, going number one. Second gets a little bit interesting, gets a little bit muddier if Miles Jack doesn't fall down. My number two guy, well, first I'm going to actually throw that to Paul. So, for me, it's a guy you've heard me harp on a lot throughout the offseason. A guy I think steps in and immediately solidifies the run defense. And he's a lot better in pass protection than people give him credit for, even though that's not the strongest area of his game. And that's Reggie Ragland out there. He's a guy that can come in and really give this team a starting middle linebacker that's going to be there for 10 or 15 years, uh, barring injury, and be a huge help behind this defensive line is not only stopping the run, but being sneaky good against the pass as well. Reggie Ragland is uh, Paul's second guy. Mine is Jack Conklin, the offensive tackle from uh, Michigan State. I would be perfectly happy taking him at, at 13, and I believe that he's going to be looked at at that guard <clears throat> position, not only for the Dolphins, but for a lot of other teams too. So <clears throat> if you can get Jack Conklin. I think you immediately take your offensive line from a C plus uh, to a B plus, because if you can solidify that spot from left to r- left to right, you've got Brandon Albert, uh, Jack Conklin, Mike Pouncey, Billy Turner, and Jawan James. I think you have a really solid starting five for Ryan Tannehill. Brian, who would be your second choice? Laramie Tunsil. You took Jack Conklin on purpose because you knew he was my number one guy. Jack Conklin. I, I agree with everything you said, Cat. It's uh, <laughs> you know the funniest thing. The funniest thing, Kat, is you and I have been doing this show for a very long time, and the one thing that I've always said is don't draft an offensive lineman in the first round. Yes, you have. And here <laughs> it is, 2016, and I love this guy. I love the fact that he can step in and play guard for the next year, maybe two years. Brandon Albert moves on. He can slide out to tackle. Um, there, This is building for the future. 
and filling a hole and a gap in the present. And, and I, I would absolutely love this pick there if, if they decided to go that route. So looking at uh, our third pick, so Brian has Miles Jack and Jack Conklin. I have Miles Jack and Jack Conklin. Paul has Miles Jack, and if he's not there, then Reggie Ragland. So thinking heavy at linebacker. Brian, uh, with the third pick, what, what, what's your third pick there at uh, going right back to you? What, what's your third choice for the Miami Dolphins here at number 13? Um, real quick, Paul, do you have anything that you wanted to add about Conklin? Yeah, I just want to throw in, it, it, it's actually interesting to me because I know the past two years and even before doing this show with you guys, I was always the one that was throwing out offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. And I'll just give you guys one sneak preview here. I don't have a single offensive lineman on my top five. The only way that I could, I would want an offensive lineman in this first round is if Larry Tunzel slides a little bit like some folks are expecting and Miami actually trades up to go after him. Otherwise, as much as I like Conklin, I, I just don't think the value in the offensive lineman is really in the first round outside of Tunzel at this point. And I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with that comment there, Paul, that when it comes to the offensive line, what I like about if Jack Conklin, if there wasn't such talk about him being able to play guard from day one, I go back Mm -hmm. to last year with Washington, Uh, Brandon Scherf wasn't a good pick at five uh, in terms of value, but guy Mm -hmm. steps right in, plays that guard spot and and solidifies the interior of, of that line. Kyle Long, same thing with the Bears. You can go back to Zach Martin, Kalichi Assembly over the last several years. Uh, I, I think it's incredibly important that the Dolphins solidify that position. I think Coughlin's a 10-year starter. But overall, your point stands. There is, there is good depth in terms of the offensive line as we move down the board in the second and third round. Brian, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, you know, as far as trading up goes, there is not a player in this draft that I would give up even a fourth-round draft pick to take. None, period. I take that back. If Jalen Ramsey was going to cost me a fourth-round pick, I'd move up and take him. Other than that, there isn't anybody. Stay at 13 or move back. The first round has talent. They may not be blue-chip you know, guys at the top 10, but there's good quality players here. And while it may not be as deep as many people would like, there's still talent. And if you move back from 13, maybe you are in a position that uh, you could take a guy like uh, – um, Reggie Ragland, maybe in the, in the early twenties. Yeah, no, and, and and I agree with you uh, on all fronts. There, the only one that I would consider it for is if they were able to move up and get Tunsil. Um, you know me. You know I'm a huge proponent of trade down the value that you can get later on. In addition to with that extra pick, especially in this draft, where the third to the, the sixth round is just rife with some of the best talent really that's out there uh, in terms of long term potential. So I'd be with you 100% other than uh, if Tunzel were to slide to, say, eight, in which, in which case you could probably work out some form of a deal with the Browns. And you'd start him at guard. Um, mm-hmm. So we're back. We're to our, we're to our third. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, for me, would be the number three player on my list. The guy's a combination of speed and power. He is going to be able to complement Jay Ajayi. He is obviously – the depth player behind him, but he's going to be one of those players that alternates series, if not takes over a game. Um, this is a guy with, with game-breaking ability that the Dolphins desperately need on offense. Um, however, the question for me, Kat, is really 
can the Dolphins afford to spend a first-round pick on a running back when they've had success lately drafting them in the mid-rounds? Yeah, that that really is the question. And you look at the running back spot, there seems to be, a, for me, a big difference between Ezekiel Elliott, who I think is a mid-first-round pick. I, I don't quite have him in the top ten like others do, but in that mid-first-round area. And then after that, you can make the point that no running back should go until the third round, so you do have that break-off point. Um, you have Ezekiel Elliott third. I have Vernon Hargraves third on that list. I, he's dropping a little bit. You know, he's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. And he did have a struggling bowl game uh, for the Florida Gators. But I think he's a guy you can take in. You can plug and play. Quick feet. Very, very good football player. I uh, had 10, 10 career interceptions there at Florida. You can plug him in right opposite Byron Maxwell and get a very good player. So, Paul, who would be your uh, third, third guy there? I, I actually have to agree with you on this one, Kat. Uh, I had Hargraves third on my list. I think he's a guy that can step in and solidify a position of need for this team. And if, if he is still, still available at 13, and for some reason Jack and Raglan aren't there, I think he'd be the way to go. So we've got our top three picks each on the board. With the fourth, I'm going to make it easier for the reasons you guys have said. Ezekiel Elliott would be my guy. I'd put him slightly behind Vernon Hargraves. Uh, you know, there's something very appetizing about Zeke Elliott in terms of we could have Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Ezekiel Elliott, all under 23 years old, all on rookie contracts. Very attractive uh, right there at that running back spot. And obviously one of the biggest needs for the Dolphins as well. I do like the dra- the depth at running back moving down further along the board, but Zeke Elliott, he, he's a plug-and-play starter at one of your biggest need positions. So, Brian, the fourth guy on your board. The fourth, the fourth guy on my board is actually William Jackson the third. The more that I read about him, the more I like him. This is a kid that's that's got the prototypical size that the Dolphins want out of a cornerback. They're going for the taller corners, the bigger corners. He's got the speed that he can keep up with on the outside. He's got that twitch that you hear people talk about with cornerbacks, and that's the ability to stay with the receiver, turning the hips, good, good footwork going, and he's a ball hawk. This is a guy that can take passes out of the air. He goes up over top of receivers to get the ball, even some of the taller ones, and he's starting to impress me. Kids out of Houston, I think he's got a really good future. I like him better than I do Vernon Hargreaves, who I still think has got some hiccups in his game, especially with the, the longer range routes where he tends to not being able to keep up with the receiver. And I think Jackson's a very possible player that the Dolphins could seriously look at come Thursday night. For, for me, I, I, went, I went with the cornerback position as well, and I do like William Jackson for all the reasons you just outlined. But I went with Eli Apple. He's a guy that I know we looked at early on um, towards the beginning of things. A lot of pundits had him at the end of the first round, sneaking up into that area. And now he's gone up as high as, as – top 15 on most boards um, and in some boards not even available to the Dolphins at this point. So he's one of those weird guys that, that is all over a lot of different boards right now, but he's a long lean corner. That's an ascending talent that can come in here, can, can play that press man that we know that Vance Joseph and Adam Gase want to play on, on defense. That would be an amazing compliment opposite, opposite Byron Maxwell. I just think he's a guy that could come in and do that. So William Jackson is a player I'll get to a little bit later, uh, and because I'm I, I'm very much in the minority on on Will Jackson. Uh, my fifth guy, and Paul will probably want to bash me over the head with this. 
is actually offensive tackle Taylor Decker from Ohio State. Uh, I feel at this point that having a left tackle that can possibly play for the next 10 years for you, a la Brian Blogger for the Packers or Riley Reef for the Lions, um, is something that is worth releasing Brandon Albert for after June 1st. If it comes to that and he's the best player on the board by far, then I'm willing to go with that move there at that tackle because protecting Ryan Tannehill is that important. So, Brian, how are you going to close out the board with your fifth pick? You know, it's really hard because there's a couple of guys on there that I've really given consideration to. Kevin Dodd out of Clemson, Shaq Lawson, Noah Spence, another linebacker. But i got to stick with Paul's guy, Reggie Ragland. I like this guy. I like his versatility. I like what he can bring to the defense. The only thing that really is a knock against him is he lacks the on-field leadership. And I think that this is a guy that could actually step up and become a leader given the right type of coaching. And that's kind of what we're seeing out of Vance Joseph right now and what the players are saying with him being in their face, in their face, in their face, along with Adam Gase. And I think that's something that could really propel him to taking that leadership role like Zach Thomas used to have. And one more thing before I, I jump in there. Kevin Dodd is a player that I've been high on. I'd probably have him higher on this list at defensive end. Uh, I feel that if the Dolphins are going to go defensive end in this draft, uh, there's a chance that that, because the depth's so good at defensive end in the second round, maybe you look at Emmanuel Agba or Kevin Dodd and maybe they fall Mm -hmm. there and you could potentially get Vernon Hargreaves or Ezekiel Elliott and then come back in the second round, still get that defensive end. And then in the third round, you get the cornerback, the fourth round, uh, you, you go with the running back. But that that's a whole longer conversation that, that makes for interesting draft day discussions. So, Paul, who is your fifth guy? So, my fifth guy here is somebody that Brian actually already mentioned, which is William Jackson the third. I just think that Miami needs to look at either a corner or a linebacker here. I think those are two big needs for this team. As much as they do need offensive line help, they do need running back help, that depth is there from the third round on in this draft to be able to go out and get that guy. But there's not going to be a huge gap for it. I know you mentioned the offensive tackle coming in, playing left tackle. If they're able to get a solid starter that can play left tackle, I find with them releasing Grand Albert as they move forward and plugging him in from day one. But they better be right. It's going to be interesting to see what the Dolphins actually do. Yeah, and we're, we're getting a lot of background music noise here. I'm not sure who it is because uh, it seems like we all have our mics uh, muted. But anyway, very interesting as we head up into the NFL draft. So here's a, player, here's a question that I'll throw at, at you guys. If the Dolphins stay at 13, is there a player there, one player that you see that you would be absolutely irate if the Dolphins took? Brian, I'll throw it to you first. Oh, gosh, you can throw me on the spot. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, think about Alexander. that for a second. Let's let's go to Paul first if he's got an answer on that. For me, um, and, and I'm going to exclude quarterbacks from this because, let's face it, I think we all would be irate if they selected a quarterback right. here. Um, for me, it would actually be Ezekiel Elliott because with the teams that are behind Miami and with the value that there is at the running back position, um, they should be able to find a trade partner to be able to pick up a third or a fourth round pick and move back anywhere from three to eight spots. 
and actually be able to solidify both the running back position and the offensive line while still getting a guy that is probably here in the top five on our list. I'm not going to say Miles Jack will still be there, but any one of the other four could still be on the board for them, and they could add um, like an Isaac Sumalo and maybe a Paul Perkins by picking up an extra pick or a Devin Johnson and a Sumalo. So there's a lot that they can do here. And if they took Ezekiel Elliott and the fact that they'd be able to, to supplement, I, I'd be irate. I know who you're going to say, Kat. Yeah, and you know, and it's probably not who you think. It would be either for me, Will Jackson or, or Reggie Ragland. And Will Jackson, again, I seem to be in the minority on because he's a, he is a tall, lean, fast cornerback that that tends to check out. Um, I when I watched him and I've watched a lot of him, I I think that he gives up a receiver very easily could run upfield on him, turn toward the middle of the field, and he doesn't have that real ability to turn and, and run with that receiver. He he looks tall and lean, and that's one thing if you're six foot three, two 215 pounds, like an Aqib Tlaib, um, uh, a, a Dominique Rogers, Camardier, or a player like that, but this guy's six foot tall, 186 pounds. I, I don't see that same ability with the same size. Uh, for him and Reggie Ragland again I like Reggie Ragland as a two down linebacker that's why you know I have him as a late first early second round pick but if he's not somebody who can play on the field for all three downs I wonder how he's going to be able to justify that value you know for me it's Mackenzie Alexander or even Eli Apple Um, while I like Eli Apple probably more so if the Dolphins traded back later in this later in the first and probably be a little bit more okay with it. I don't think he's worth 13th. This is a guy that's got a serious problem with grabbing a hold of receivers' jerseys, and that's not going to cut it in the NFL. Mackenzie Alexander, I find too many problems in his game right now for me to sit there and justify taking him at 13. I think there's better options. But I will tell you one thing. If Ezekiel Elliott is taken on Thursday night, I will raise a glass and toast that Paul is, is a little bit irate because – I think Elliott could be a very good football player in this league. And if it's mean, if, if it means taking Elliott over a guy like, like um, uh, Mackenzie Alexander or Eli Apple, then I'm all for it. But really I, I'm just praying to God that, uh, that it's Conklin or, uh, or somebody along that line. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have anybody that I'm truly looking at the way I did Taylor the Lawn last year, because there's no one that, that's truly uh, <clears throat> that annoying of a player for me to, to watch play. But and Ezekiel Elliott will be a talent. My my thoughts around him are, are more so in terms of the value that they could get and, and, and really the value gap um, based on, on what would fit in Miami's offense. I like Jay Ajayi. I like what some of these later round running backs to bring to the table. And I like what some of these mid-round offensive linemen bring to the table, both short and long-term. So if they're able to structure things to be able to add even more to that and still get a, a, a guy at a position of need here in the first round that's that's going to excel, I, I just that that's where my, my issue is with going with Elliott here when they could actually fill a position that there's a bigger gap for. Right, and that, that's that's the interesting thing is – with Zeke Elliott, he's somebody who's projected to go as high as fourth overall to the Dallas Cowboys, and I think that's crazy talk. 
when you look at that. You could put anybody behind the Cowboys' offensive line. We saw last year with Darren McFadden. The uh, guy was fifth in the league in rushing. And uh, yeah, it was a nothing really before that in the NFL. The Cowboys need to take a defensive player at that spot, and then the it becomes an interesting conversation where Zeke Elliott goes. Does he go ten to the New York Giants when they have you know thirty one year old Rashad Jennings at running back? Does he go eleventh to the Chicago Bears when they just lost Matt Forte? And if not, he could fall all the way down to the Miami Dolphins at thirteen. I don't view Zeke as a special talent. I, I view him as a guy who is a B plus, A minus across the board. Um, for example, Adrian Peterson and Todd Gurley, those types of players, they are, they are running backs who pounding the rock for 25 to 30 times a game, going up the gut. If you have a, a great block on one of those runs or you have somebody who's out of position, that, that's a 50- or 60-yard run. I don't see that exact ability with Ezekiel Elliott, even though he is a very good football player. So we, uh, we do have a caller on the line, Paul. Yeah, he'll be back in just a second. He's going to take that call, find out who exactly it is. But, you know, I, I agree. And one of the other things, too, about Elliott is, and while I won't be disappointed if he is the selection at 13, what's going to make it hard to stomach for anybody really is the fact that the Dolphins don't have a glaring need there. When you look at cornerback and offensive line and linebacker, there's such bigger needs at those positions that when you start throwing in a running back that you can draft in the fourth round or you can still pick up one in free agency after the draft is over, Elliott doesn't make a lot of sense. If the Dolphins go in that route, they're going to have to hope that he is exactly like Todd Gurley. Otherwise, it's a pretty wasted pick. But right now we are going to go to uh-huh. Greg Likens, who is joining us tonight. Greg, it's been a while since we've talked to you. Welcome again, and thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, good to be back on, guys. How's everything going? Oh, things are good, man. Things are good. Um, what are you up to these days? I mean, I know the Finsiders kind of went away a few weeks ago. I know you've got yourself listed as a free agent, but you're still talking a lot about South Florida sports. What's going on in Greg's world these days, man? Yeah, I know. I, um, I, I We're used to discussing free agency in the NFL. I'm, I've kind of taken that uh, into my own <laughs> here, but uh, – I, yeah, right now I'm kind of surveying a bunch of different options uh, professionally for myself. So um, I'm uh, going to be doing an interview on 560 WQAM tomorrow morning on the Joe Rose Show. I'm going to be doing a show Thursday night on 790 The Ticket as part of uh, some draft coverage. So doing a little bit here, a little bit there before as I try to figure out what, what's next for me. So before we move on, talk a little bit about the draft, uh, talk about some of the areas in need. Uh, any final thoughts on the, the Finsiders? Because I know this was a show that was near and dear to you. It was near and dear to all the fans. Um, any, any final thoughts on the Finsiders and what that meant for you and for, for some of the former players that you hosted with? Yeah, I, I, I really uh, enjoyed and relished my experience hosting the show for two years and uh, two seasons, uh, going through 2014 and 2015. Obviously, wish they had a few more wins for us to talk about, but really, uh, you know, the relationships built up with the former players that I worked with and with the current players and the coaching staff, that was all very positive. And, you know, I, I'm a little biased, but I thought we did a really good job of uh, you know, covering the team 
you know, throughout the season and throughout the year, even during the off season. Um, but obviously the organization decided they want to go in a different direction. So disappointing. I think we, we made an impact on the fans, but uh, that's the decision that was made. And um, I'll, I'll always cherish the time I had uh, working there uh, with the Finsiders. Uh, but, you know, I gained a lot of great experience. So I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever comes next. I know we all miss you guys, and I know Chris McCain definitely does based on the picture of him uh, sitting in the studio and campaigning to be your first guest wherever you end up next. So, uh, you know, we, we miss having you guys on, but let's let's dive into it because we haven't gotten you on the air here talking about the Dolphins and some of their needs going into the off season. Um, what do you see as, like, the key areas of need? I know a lot of folks obviously highlighted probably the same areas, but it's good to get your perspective as you are so close with the team, even now. Yes, yeah, and uh, that was cool, with Chris McCain, and I think that you know shows that you know we we built up good relationship with some of the players. But yeah, the needs. I think the the first need that I know everybody's discussed, but it is glaring, it is the cornerback position because you cut Brent Grimes, you cut Bryce McCain, you pick up Byron Maxwell, and you know, I'm fine with Byron Maxwell. He's going to be, as they describe, a better scheme fit under Vance Joseph, but. Besides him, you've got Jamar Taylor, who has had injury issues, and when he's healthy, he's been on the field, has been unreliable. Uh, Tony Lippett and Bobby McCain, I think, have a lot of potential, but that's you know they, they haven't proven it yet at this level. And, and besides those guys, I mean, Tyler Patman, I don't know. Like You really need to get more bodies at that position before you feel good about it. So that's, to me – by far the top need for the Dolphins uh, entering the draft Thursday night. After that running back, I think, you know, Jay Ajayi's got uh, great potential, but they need somebody else to, to run the ball uh, to complement him. And then offensive guard, I mean, the Dolphins have plans in place for Jermon Bushrod, Craig Urbic was signed, uh, but I still think they need to address that position. And then, then linebacker, I think, to me, would be the next after that, just because of the injury hit both Kiko Alonso and Koumisi, that uh, you can never have enough depth there. So when you talk about those positions, or, or really any other, are there any players in this draft, and, and you can't just say Syracuse guys, that you're looking at as, a, as wearing a big red target for guys you'd be ecstatic to see Miami go after that you just think make absolute sense? Yeah, I mean, good thing I'm not just talking Syracuse guys because then the Dolphins are in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if, if, if they're looking at anybody in the first couple rounds in Syracuse, then uh, I'd be worried. But, uh, no, I mean, listen, I, I know when I got called in here, I heard you guys talking about Ezekiel Elliott, and he does intrigue me. I, I don't – from everything I've heard, he's not the same type of um, unbelievable talent as a Todd Gurley was last year, but he's still a very good player, and I think that intrigues me. However – Getting back to the biggest need, I really would prefer to see the Dolphins use their first-round pick on the defensive side of the ball and at the cornerback position. Now, because they traded back from 8 to 13, they're unlikely to get Vernon Hargraves from Florida. Uh, so then it's a matter of what the Dolphins' front office has determined uh, the ratings are and the grade that they put on guys like William Jackson from Houston or Eli Apple or even a Mackenzie Alexander – if they think, especially Apple or Jackson, if they think one of those two guys, because they're bigger bodies and they fit into the scheme, really would thrive under Vance Joseph, then I'm all for going after them. I still feel that 
the, the most ideal scenario may be for the Dolphins to trade down. It's easier said than done, but trade down a little bit, acquire another second or third round pick because there's so many needs this team has that that wouldn't hurt at all. But that's always easier said than done. But if it's me and you don't get an Ezekiel Elliott because I don't think he's going to fall to 13, then one of those corners and those guys that I mentioned would be ideal for me. Greg, when you look at that second and third round, like you mentioned, if, if you were to pick up an extra pick there, is there anybody that you're looking at as a target for, for a, a second and third round pick if you're able to add one? Well, if they're going to do that, and, you know, I think if, if that occurs, then that opens up the possibility of them literally just drafting best player available in the first round, which, listen, I know that's what Mike Tannenbaum and Chris Greer were preaching uh, in the pre-draft press conference, which I think is uh, something they have to do, but I think it's highly – overrated and over scrutinized because they're not going to tell us what they're going to do. So it's kind of, it's kind of one of those <laughs> routines where I, I don't quite see the purpose except for the fact that, you know, the media likes to, to hear from the, from the decision makers a few days before the draft. But if that occurs, then they could take one of the talented pass rushers in the first round and then target, you know, maybe an Artie Burns from Miami or a Xavier Howard from Baylor. Um, so, some of the next tier cornerback in the second round. And then, try to get a running back as well, maybe Kenneth Dixon out of Louisiana Tech, uh, or, you know, I don't know where Derrick Henry is going to go, or, or like an Alex Collins, or uh, Devontae Booker, or Jordan Howard, some of those names that you've heard uh, as some of the second-tier running backs behind in Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, that's what I would do. I think that would provide the flexibility because, listen, if they go after a pass rusher, it's not my ideal choice, but I think you can justify it based on the fact that Cam Wake, you're not sure what you're going to get out of him coming off the injury. And then Mario Williams, you signed a two-year deal and is up there in age. So you, you need, after getting rid of Olivier Vernon or allowing him to walk in free agency, to develop some pass rushers to be the future. So, um, yeah, I think there's a ton of different scenarios that could play out. And that's why um, I'm excited for Thursday night to get the process going because we've been speculating so much about it. <laughs> I'm I'm right there with you. I can't believe it's 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 already here, even though it feels like it should have happened already. Um, when you mentioned pass rushers, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. And but have you heard anything around Deion Jordan and, and what we can expect, if anything, to to see from him in terms of the team or, or what have you as we move forward here this off season? You know, I haven't heard anything definitive about his situation, but the vibe that I got was that the Dolphins, you know, they weren't holding their breath for Deion Jordan. So if he's able to come back and has passed all his drug tests over the last year, then great. Then, you know, they're happy to have him, but they're essentially planning as if he's not going to be available because that's what they have to do considering he's been so unreliable. And of course, you know, as we know all too well, this isn't the regime that drafted him, so they don't have any loyalty uh, to Deion Jordan. I think if he's able to come back, it would be a bonus for him, but they're they're planning as if he's not going to be there. And uh, I certainly hope for his sake as a person that he's been able to pass the drug test and get this behind him. Um, but you do have to be a bit skeptical. and Maybe, maybe I'm being too cynical about it, but for a guy that's uh, had these issues, that's lost a lot of money, because of it, uh, it's hard for me to imagine in a whole year away from football in which he's not allowed to be around the team or to seek help 
from the team that he's going to be able to get his life together. I hope I'm wrong, but I think that that's a flaw in the NFL system where they don't allow any contact. And really, this is the time for a guy like Deion Jordan that he needs that contact for you know an NFL team to use its resources to try to help a guy like that out and, and try to get him on the right track. So uh, that's one of the elements of I don't know, the CBA and everything that the NFLPA and the league has figured out that I think needs to change moving forward because you're doing a disservice to a guy who's got a health issue in terms of turning his life around. Greg, I had a question for you. Um, you know, for the, we've been talking to you pretty much seems like every, at least every other month for the last two years, uh, you've been pretty gracious with your time joining us, but as gracious as you've been with your time, You've also kind of had to play a little bit of the company line when we ask you questions about what goes on inside the organization. We all understand that, but you're not working there anymore. So you've met Adam Gase. You've met Joe Philbin. What's the difference between these two really? Yeah, and you're right. I, I the, uh, take the, the shackles off. I, <laughs> you'll get uh, <laughs> uncensored commentary from me uh, moving forward. Um it's night and day. It, it really is. And I, I will continue to say that Joe Philbin is a nice man, means well. And I think in general, all of his interactions with people were positive, but he, he did not have much of a personality in terms of being outgoing. I mean, Adam Gates is the exact opposite. And the moment he was hired in early January, I, I just saw a complete difference in just the mood in the building because of just the way he conducts himself. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration for me to say, and, I, and I, listen, I interviewed Joe Philbin uh, every Monday after each game during the 2014 season and then the four games, the 2015 season before they let him go. And I think I had more substantial conversations with Adam Gase in the three or four months that he and I were at the Dolphins together during that time than I did for like a year and a half with Joe Philbin. Just be, and I'm not saying that in a bad way about Joe Philbin. He's just not outgoing in that manner. And I firmly believe that Adam Gase is just going to bring a lot of positivity to the team because, you know, some might, may say it's overrated or that it's not an excuse and all this stuff. But I, I do think that the team takes on the personality of its coach and that some will argue that, well, guys like Tony Dungy and there's been other soft-spoken coaches who get the most out of their players, but I've seen it up close. Like, Joe Philbin, nice man, but he wasn't connecting with the players. Even though we talked about training camp this past year and he was doing as much as possible to kind of break out and become more outgoing with everybody, as we can see, it didn't help and affect the, the play on the field the way we were looking for it. I don't know if Adam Gates is going to be a great head coach. I think he's got a lot to learn. But I think that he's got one thing going for him that is absolutely necessary, and that's that he can relate to anybody in the building, from the maintenance guy all the way to the top of the organization. He relates well to people, and I think that's only a good thing for the Dolphins and their head coach. Yeah, I, I can tell you that we've been down to – I mean, you're familiar with the Web Weekend. We've we've known or talked to Philbin at least once a year. And, and what you said is absolutely true. He's got he, – he's probably one of the nicest guys you could ever want to meet. But you're not going to gain a great conversation out of him because that's not him. It's not his style. It's, and it's not really what he 
uh, exudes when he's in front of a room. And, and so when we started to hear all of the, the players saying, well, you know, there really wasn't a lot of communication, it, it was understandable, but everybody from top to bottom thought he was a great guy. So it's very interesting to hear you say that about Adam Gase and refreshing as well. I did want to ask you now that you're not uh, tied by uh, having your hands tied and you don't have to answer this, but I'm curious, was there anybody that you interviewed with the dolphins that you kind of went, man, I don't want to do this. This guy just isn't whatever. And you can fill in that blank on your own. Uh, (laughs) Well, the, the guy that was difficult to interview. And I think if you ask anybody who's covered the team the last year, that was just, tough to interview and I don't say this because I think he's a nice person and means well but is Devontae Parker he's just he's a man of few words so um, <laughs> it was always a cha- challenge to interview him uh, because and again the interesting thing is the last time I interviewed him was towards the end of the season when he was finally getting back on the field and, and he was making some impact and uh, I did a stand-up interview with him. So traditionally those are shorter anyway as opposed to having him sit down with me in the studio. But I had a really nice conversation with him before the camera started rolling, and and we actually had a good back and forth. The moment the camera came on and we were a little more formal about things, uh, it it, it was difficult to extract very much information out of him. So, uh, again, I don't say this because I disliked him or had any negative interactions with him he just doesn't like to speak so that's that's like the worst uh thing you can have as an interviewer when uh, your subject uh despite the fact he's performing well in the field uh prefers not to elaborate on much of what you ask him <laughs> so greg when you we were talking about the coaches a minute ago um and it was kind of nice hearing from you as well what, what we perceived in terms of gays and, and Silva. But when you look at Gase's staff, I, I know a lot of folks are a little familiar with Vance Joseph, et cetera, et cetera. But some of the other lower-level coaches, essentially, the assistant coaches that, that he's brought in, of those guys, I, I'm sure you got to meet a few, got to interact with a few. Was there anybody that jumped off the page to you, and why, in terms of going to make an impact with this team that may be flying under the radar right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think because I, I interacted with uh, Clyde Christensen, Vance Joseph, Adam Gase uh, quite a bit. Uh, I was happy to see guys like Darren Rizzi. I really like Darren Rizzi. I think he's very right. valuable. So I'm, I'm happy that they retained him as a special teams coordinator, assistant head coach. Uh, Lou Anarumo as well. I think he does a good job with the DBs. Uh, other than that, as far as some of the new guys um, – one of the, the coaches uh, that stood out to me uh, was the new linebackers coach, um, and that's Matt Burke because, again, I, I didn't interact much with, with any of those guys before I, I departed uh, from the team, but he's a guy that I talked to briefly, and he's he's like the, the type of guy that when you look at him, he's got a big beard, he kind of has an edge to him, he's got some tattoos and stuff, and you're like, you know, that's the, that, that is the vision of, like, a young defensive coach, right, that I think can, can relate to the players. And, and when I talked to Vance Joseph about him, they were kind of joking around. He's like, yeah, this guy's a wild man, but the players really like him. And so that kind of make it, made an impact on me uh, because uh, I don't know if that's going to transfer into, 
him being a great coach, I guess we'll see what happens with the linebackers. But uh, he had a lot of energy and just was a kind of a different dude. But I think that, it, that that's a good thing for such a physical sport uh, that those guys are going out there and playing. That's definitely interesting to hear. I mean, I know for, for me, I wasn't too familiar with him before, and I've looked at a lot of stuff, so that's definitely a good thing for our listeners to hear. Um, so, Greg, we, we asked ourselves this, so I'm going to ask you this. With the draft coming up on Thursday, is there any player that, because I know you're also a fan of the team at this point, um, if Miami were to draft in the first round, uh, that you would basically pick up your remote and just throw it across the room and go, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The one guy, so this is interesting. Um, There's a couple of guys that stand out to me, and I don't – one guy that I definitely would do that, and I don't think they're going to take him at 13, but I definitely would be upset is Noah Spence. Because as we were were talking earlier about – you know, Deion Jordan, like, I don't think the Dolphins at this point can justify taking another pass rusher who's got a history of drug problems, right? Like, they've gone through that headache before. And from everything I've read about Noah Spence, you know, he cleaned up his act and said all the right things before uh, the draft because that's what all these guys do because it's a job interview and they want to, you know, get the guaranteed money and everything. That's a guy that, while he's physically gifted, I'd be upset about that. And then uh, – I got into it with some guy, not in a bad way, but some guy on Twitter was arguing with me that the Dolphins should take Laquan Treadwell if he's available. And I just, I see so many needs on this roster. Treadwell's a great talent, but I see so many needs on this roster. And wide receiver isn't anywhere close to the top. So I'd be upset if they took a wide receiver in the first round as well, Uh, especially at 13 if they stay at that spot, just because there's so many other needs. And wide receiver is a nice position of depth that I think it would be redundant. And I know, you know, you could argue that, hey, if you get the best player available, that's going to work out towards the end. But if they draft another wide receiver in the first round, I just think that's kind of a waste of your opportunity there. I agree with you. I don't see any receiver that really stands out to me, especially when there's a lot of folks that are even arguing whether Treadwell is the best receiver in this draft uh, at this point. So, one last question for you before uh, we let Brian here sign you off. Uh, is there any hidden gem or gems that you're looking at towards the late rounds of this draft that you think could come in, fill an area of need for the Dolphins, and, and be that impact player down the stretch? We see, we see them come out every year. Uh, is there anyone you've got your eye on? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I don't know if I could pick a, a one guy um, – but you're right. I mean, I mean, you look at uh, well, the the news today, like Rashad Jones is you know not showing up to voluntary minicamp. I mean, he was a fifth round pick and he's worked out uh, really well. Uh, Rashad Matthews just got paid and he was a seventh round pick. So you're right. Every every year there's a possibility just because it's such an inexact science. Um, yeah, I I don't have anybody that comes to mind right now. I've been focused a lot on kind of the, the first three rounds or so, but uh, yeah, so I, unfortunately I don't, I don't have somebody that, that really pops into my head. I did read uh, the, the article that the MMQB did about the wide receiver from Germany, whose name is escaping me and who's mm-hmm. suddenly popped up on the radar. And I don't know if he's going to get drafted late or just sign as an undrafted free agent, but 
that guy intrigues me because he's big, he's got all the measurables, and he's only played in the German league, so there's a lot of unknown there. So uh, if I had to answer, I don't know if the Dolphins would target him, but just in general, that's a guy that intrigues me because of the unknown uh, entering the draft. Well, listen, Greg, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, we, you know, it's it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I know that you you've got interviews coming up. We obviously wish you the absolute best of luck. Um, if you get that itch, we will always replace Paul. Um, so if you want to join <laughs> us, I, I I don't pay Paul anything, but I can match the same salary. Um, but seriously, though, any you want to jump on with us and talk Dolphins football, uh, you don't need an invitation. You get bored Thursday night if you're not doing anything. We're going to be broadcasting the first two hours of the draft live. Um, so feel free to give us a call if you'd like. Uh, again, best of luck to you, man. And, and as always, thank you so much for being a part of our show. Yeah, well, appreciate it, guys. Appreciate the kind words. Paul's doing too good of a job. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take his spot. I always, always enjoy coming <laughs> on with you guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy that uh, we're going to end the speculation Thursday night. We can actually – talk about uh, draft picks uh, coming up uh, this weekend. So uh, appreciate you having me on as always, and I look forward to talking to you guys again down the road. Sounds great, Greg. Thank you very much. That's Greg Likens, formerly of uh, the Finsiders, of course. Follow him on Twitter, at Greg Likens. That's L-I-K-E-N-S, Greg Likens. Make sure you do it. Greg, have a great night. Enjoy the draft. All right, you too. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Greg. Uh, it's always great having him on here, obviously. Real quick before we finish up our show here tonight and give you some of the programming notes for the for the draft this weekend. Um, prayers, shout-outs, whatever you want to do, uh, thoughts goes out to Jim Manage's family, of course. It was five years ago today that Jim lost his battle with cancer. Uh, we've had his son Michael on the show. Um, but great Dolphin, great announcer, great member of Miami history and uh, a great member of the community. It's been five years. Seems like yesterday, but uh, Jim Mandich, uh, always in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for our, the majority of our show. Paul, we're going to talk a little bit here real quick for those of you listening. This is how our program is going to work Thursday night. We are going to be on at eight o'clock as the draft starts. We are going to announce every pick that is made in the draft for the first two hours. Why two hours? Because blog talk only allows us two hours in prime time from eight to 10. What that means is if the Dolphins trade back, there's no guarantee that we're going to be on the air when they select. We are not going to go into archives because if we did, Paul, it wouldn't make a darn bit of difference. You're going to know who the Dolphins select anyway before you even listen to us on the archives. I uh, don't know if we lost Paul or not. Um, <clears throat> anyways, Paul and I are going to be handling uh, the show this week, uh, this week, Thursday. On Friday night, we will be back again to start the draft for two hours again. There will not be a show on Saturday uh, because, well, it's kind of boring uh, to talk about the draft on day three. Plus, making it harder, Paul, the, the announcers don't give you the picks that you need to have. You're better off listening to Twitter. In any case, Paul, exactly. anything you want to add about this, about this, uh, this no, week's draft I, lineup here? I, I would completely agree about Saturday. It's it's hard enough to get the picks, and, and as you know, I was there on day three uh, two years ago when it was the Radio City. It's it's impossible to get the picks even when you're there in a timely fashion because yeah. essentially the entire room of of folks seems to act like 
they don't care about getting word out in any form of a prop fashion with folks, even in attendance. So I agree with you completely. It's, I had people telling me while I was in attendance who got drafted when before I could find out in the room. So, yeah, there's there's no point Absolutely. with victory coverage. So why should you listen to us? Well, it's very simple. We're going to be giving you the information that's pertinent to the Miami Dolphins. We're not going to sit there and talk for 15 minutes about Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or anybody else has taken through picks 1 through 12. We're going to tell you what it means for the Dolphins at 13. We're going to tell you who's on the board that the Dolphins may be interested in moving up for or forcing a player to slide down. So turn your volume down on your TV, listen to us, and get Dolphin stuff. Hey, how great is this show? Well, it's our third year doing it, and while I've got to say it's okay, it's pretty good, we've got groups out in Japan that tune in to listen to our show. We'll get you the picks as they come in. If you don't like it, hey, turn us down, turn the TV up. Give us a shot. It's fun. It's Dolphins talk. It's Dolphins football. It's Dolphins draft ball. Agreed. And if, you, if you're not going to be listening to us, the other thing that you could do on a Thursday night for the draft, say, is go to Dolphins NYC or the VA Dolphin Club or any of these other clubs that are out there because they're all having uh, some form of a draft party. And, hell, sitting and watching it with a whole bunch of your fellow Dolphin fans, you can't go wrong with that stuff. Yeah, Cal will be calling in throughout the course of the night as well. He hosts an annual draft party at his house. Um, so that's pretty much it. Now you're in the know. You've got an idea of what's going on this week. Um, we'll see you Thursday night. We're looking uh, We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is going to be interesting because the last two years we've done three-hour shows. This is the first year that we're going to be doing two-hour shows. Um, so we are going to sign off tonight. We'll see you Thursday. We know it's kind of a short show, but we've got a long week ahead with three shows for the draft. On behalf of Paul, Kat, and myself, we want to thank you for being a part of our show here tonight. We always welcome your comments. You can join us in our chat room. Follow us on Twitter at OnTheFinSide. Like our Facebook page, OnTheFinSide. And now go to OnTheFinSide.com where you'll get news, you'll get articles, you'll get commentary and opinions. And through the course of the summer, we're going to start breaking some of these shows up and segmenting them so you can get them all in bits and pieces rather than have to listen to a full hour and a half show. But OnTheFinSide.com is live right now, so check it out and be sure to, uh, to leave any comments or questions or anything else that you might have over there. On behalf of all of us, again, thank you for joining us. And remember, if it's not on the right side and it's not on the fin side, Solo D is going to tell you it is on the fin side.
about our team and all the latest news. Best the rookies trying to make the team pay dues. Current players and alumni interviews. City to city, state to state, follow the moves. Call the hotline, Dolphins talk, set to go. Best sports team and show all across the globe. Yeah. Uh-huh. 